Well, good morning. I spoke in a church once where got up to the pulpit and written right here on the back side of this thing it said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. That slows you down a little bit, doesn't it? Because that's something that no man can do. We need the Spirit of God. And nothing that I say or do in this time will do anything but hurt you unless the Lord helps and gives us something from Him, gives us a glimpse of Him. Let's pray then before we open the Word. Our Father, we ask You for Your Holy Spirit Spirit of faith and power and love and of a sound mind. Fill us with faith and with your spirit today. Speak to us. Help us, Lord. We confess that apart from you, we can do absolutely nothing. And so our eyes are upon you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. The message that I want to start with today is one that I've given in a lot of different places and um, as I've thought of what might be helpful it seemed right um, that I definitely ought to give this one uh, if it's one that some of you may have heard because like I said I've given it a number of places I trust that God will still bless it to you um, he has to me I've given, <laughs> I've given it a lot a lot of times so I'll assure you that uh, I've heard it more than you have, and I continue to uh, be blessed by this. But it's got such helpful truths for those who, who haven't had this brought to their attention uh, that I think it, we need to look at it. And that is 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll read verses 8 to 11. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 11. <clears throat> Peter says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself... Perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the Christian's adversary, the devil. The Christian's adversary, the devil. Beloved, if you're a Christian, you are involved in a warfare doesn't matter whether you want to be in it or not. You woke up this morning involved in a warfare. You have an enemy. 
And the warfare that you're involved in is not a physical warfare, but it's a spiritual warfare. It's against unseen powers. And the weapons that you need are not physical weapons, they're spiritual weapons. I heard the account one time of uh, um, a service kind of like this. There were husbands and wives, and they blindfolded all the men um, and um, blindfolded all the women. They had newspapers rolled up. And after everybody was blindfolded, they took all the blindfolds off of the wives and they said, now go at it. And of course the wives were just hitting their husbands through all angles with those newspapers. Well, what's the difference? They couldn't see, the husbands couldn't see what was going on. And the only way we're going to be able to see what's going on in the invisible realm is to listen to what the Word of God says. The Word of God makes, the Bible says that, doesn't it? Psalm 119 makes us wiser than our enemies. It's the Word that does that. And so uh, we, we want to pay special attention to what God says in His Word about this battle that we're involved in and the, the enemy that we have. And so I'd like for us to consider today um, three designations or names given to the Christian's enemy in verse 8. These are very simple. Once again, they're very profound. The first one is adversary. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary. And this is probably the most basic name in Scripture given to our enemy. I don't think it's the most important, but it's the most basic. And it's very helpful. If I were to ask you the Greek word for it, uh, most of you wouldn't know it. Uh, I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't looked it up. But but if I ask you the Hebrew word, you're all Hebrew scholars. Because the Hebrew word for it is Satan. And uh, when in in the Old Testament... Uh, that word Satan is used for adversary. And it's, it's another example. The, we've taken it right into English. And so when we say Satan, every time you're saying Satan, you're saying adversary. Let me give you a couple verses on that. Um, back in Numbers 22, uh, when Balaam is going out, it says God <clears throat> was angry because he was going and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as a Satan against him, as an adversary against him. So God, his angel, sometimes is an adversary. Again, in Numbers twenty-two thirty-two, Behold, I have come out as an adversary, a Satan, because your way was contrary to me. Of course, they didn't pronounce it Satan like we do, but anyway, same word. An adversary is one who stands against, who withstands. And we could wish perhaps that the word Satan had been, instead of carried over as a proper name, it's actually just the adversary. And that is important. God's telling us something. Right in that, God's teaching us. And what He's doing is, He's reminding us that there's more to living the Christian life than just dealing with your own sin problems. You've got sin problems. But there's more to the Christian life than your sin problems. And and 
There's more to the Christian life than dealing with other people and the opposition of other people. There's more to the Christian life than adverse circumstances. You have an objective enemy opposing you who does not want you to live the Christian life. You have an adversary. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it something like this. He said, there's mighty opposition to Christian living from the outside. That's a good way of saying it, from the outside. You have an opponent, an adversary. Now think of this. Suppose you didn't have any sin at all. You never got impatient. You never struggled with unbelief. You never had any, any, any sin whatsoever. You would still face mighty opposition to living for God from the outside. How do we know that? Because the Lord Jesus had no sin whatsoever. And he had the most opposition of anybody who's ever lived from the devil. In person even, came down, Satan himself came down and took possession of Judas there in order to get the job done there. So, <clears throat> we need to be reminded of this. We tend to go to extremes here. We tend to, you know, some people go to seed and see the devil and everything. But it's real easy to go the other way and have all kinds of stuff happening. And the last thing you think of is, wait a minute, I've got an opponent. I've got an adversary. There is someone who doesn't want me to live the Christian life. And it's real, beloved. It's real opposition. Um, it's very easy to think in terms of circumstances and people and what have you. And to forget about this aspect of the adversary. Uh, when the Lord was being rebuked by Peter, you know, he said, far be it from you, Lord, that'll never happen to you. And Jesus realized where that was coming from. And he said, get behind me, Satan, adversary. <laughs> so sometimes the things that are coming to us, even through other people, is Satan trying to get at us, our adversary. And in that case, it had to do with the cross. So, same way when Peter denied the Lord. If you ever look at a situation, you could say, well, that's due to circumstances. That's due to people. Well, no. It, well, I mean, you know, they came out there with torches and clubs at night. Well, that's why he denied the Lord. No, that's not why he denied the Lord. Jesus said, Satan, the adversary, has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. So what was really going on, aside from that mob coming out there and all that, what was going on was the devil looked at Peter. He said, I'm going to take that guy, that loud mouth out. I'm going to put an end to this. And Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. He would have gone under right there. The devil hates the sight of you. If you, if you and uh, we've seen this on college campuses, here's some girl that's deep in sin and God saves her or here's some guy I mean just them walking around on campus with a smile on their face the devil hates that because he hates that because they are a walking testimony that God saves sinners and God's more powerful than him and they will he will oppose that and he opposed Peter he wanted to take Peter out he said, Satan has desired to have you, but I've prayed for you. 
So that was the ultimate battle that Peter was involved in. And it's interesting, Peter's the one here. He says, you resist him, steadfast in your faith. I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And that's been the case with our adversary down through the ages, down through Christian history. Many a new Christian has had their mind bombarded with blasphemous thoughts, atheism, some of you know Tim Conway. He said he never doubted God at all until he got saved. Then he was hit hard with all kinds of atheistic thoughts. Douglas McMillan, some of you heard of him. Same thing. Just and it's you got to realize this is more than just you thinking. You've got an adversary. Some of you know Conrad Merle. He was a good friend. <clears throat> he told me one time. He said many times before he'd get up to preach, he'd have the thought, just throw your Bible down, it's not going to do any good, go on out. Now where do you think that's coming from? <laughs> you ever had that? You ever been attacked? Bob Jennings, some of you knew Bob, he told me one time, he was at, at the Bentley conference. He said, I didn't get enough faith to get up until the last song I finally got enough faith to get up and give the message and everybody's talking about man what a powerful message that was what is that the devil hates that he hates you he hates your ministry he hates whatever you're trying to do he hates the fact that you're praying for your kids you've got an opponent Aside from your sin and aside from other people, you've got someone that does not want you to succeed in the Christian life. J.O. Fraser was a missionary to China. Godly young man went over there. He said he was under a cloud. Day and night under this cloud. And he got thinking, maybe it's the food, you know, maybe it's the climate. And then it began to dawn on him, I'm under oppression by my opponent. And he went, out, he went out by himself and he began to quote verses out loud and cry out to God. And he said that cloud, that oppression on the spirit lifted. And the light begins to shine. You ever had that in prayer meeting? You gather together for prayer. God seems about this big and a hundred miles away. And you have the feeling it's not going to do any good. And then you start praying about halfway through the prayer meeting. All of a sudden, you know, God really, He's real. And His promises are real. And I can ask and I'll receive. You see, there's opposition at the threshold. He doesn't want you to even start. Hudson Taylor, a lot of you know about him. I, his biography, there's a two-volume set, but book's about this big. It says, the gro first one's the growth of a soul, and the second one's the growth of a work of God. And he was over there in China, and I was amazed in the second volume. There's a part in there where he says, I was, I was struggling with thoughts of suicide. Here you think, look at this. We put these guys on a pedestal where, you know, they never feel anything. The devil hated him. Martin Lloyd-Jones ended up in a nursing home, 1949, under severe oppression, attack of the devil to try to take him out. Duncan Campbell, some of you know about the Hebrides revival. He went through a period of months 
where he had such darkness on his soul in the midst of the revival. Isn't that something? Three months. All it could do all day long was cry. <laughs> and the only time it lifted is when it got in the pulpit. And then he had liberty. God allowing our adversary to hit us hard. There's, I, I could give you all kinds of stuff from church history on this. How can you explain such things? Well, when you think of the work that a lot of those men were doing, you can see why they were attacked. <clears throat> we have an objective enemy. So that, that's, there's help right here, isn't there? Be on the alert. Be on the alert. You've got an enemy. Just remember the basic fact. We'd subscribe to it, but we forget it. You've got an enemy. There's opposition from the outside. There's opposition toward you to living the Christian life. Now the second designation here is the devil. And this one I think is far and away the most important. Uh, just be- it's used the most and uh, it teaches us so much. It reveals so much concerning Satan's character and working. The word devil, you know, it's diablos, and it comes across pretty close, I guess, in Spanish. Um, But uh, even then, they've just taken it over from the Greek. They don't translate it. So anybody know what the word devil means? Just venture something out. Devil. You know what it means? It's a Greek, it's used, the same word is used of older women Paul says, I don't want the older women to be devils. <laughs> it's, it means slanderer. Now, some people, sometimes people will say accuser. Accuser, you can accuse somebody of something, and it could be true. Slander is a little bit more malicious. The, the uh, authorized version, I think, translates it directly, slanderer, in uh, Timothy there. 1 Timothy 3.11 uh, for the women not to be slanderers, uh, the New American Standard says malicious gossips. So it's a mali- the idea of slander. When you, there's also a word calumniator uh, and calumny. We don't use those words, at least where I'm at. When you never use that word, but it's the idea of a false and malicious statement. But uh, you know what slander is when you slander somebody. You have a feel for that word. You're saying something, show me. How many people have any idea what it's, have you ever heard of slander? Okay, so every time you read the word devil, it's the word slanderer. Now there's separate, King James has demons are sometimes translated devils and that's not quite accurate. They're demons, that's a different word. But every time you read the word devil, when it's talking about the devil, it's just the word, the same word used for, for women over in Timothy, slanderer. Now think of how different this is. It says, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the slanderer. Now what do you know right off? 
What do you what do you know about what he's going to be doing? He's going to be slandering. And see, by just bringing it over, the way we brought it over, and the word devil doesn't have any meaning. I mean, we think of a man, a red, red devil, you know, with tails and a horn and whatever. That's a stroke of the devil right there. I mean, it's slander. So every time you read it, you know, that if the lake of fire prepared for the slanderer and his angels. He slanders. That's his primary work. <clears throat> How does he slander? Well, first of all, he slanders God to man. When I first began this study years ago, I, I thought primarily in terms of he slanders us to each other. But as I began to study, I realized that's his big thing. His big thing is slandering God to you. And it starts out in the garden. He says, what kind of God has God, has God said? Questions out. Then, you shall not surely die. God's a liar. You can't trust His Word. And He's holding out on you. He knows that if you had this. See, God's be, He's a bad God. And if you would disobey him, you could get something good that he uh, is unwilling to give you. See, what all of that slander. And that is his primal work, and he does it all the time. He's constantly slandering God in your mind. Slandering. Here's a person under conviction of sin. And Satan is slandering God to him constantly. You, know, you don't want to do that. You don't. What kind of you? Think of what he's. Think you'd you'd miss out on life. You'd you'd be miserable. You don't want to be a Christian. Here here's a young person praying. Christian, said, Lord, I want you to choose my spouse. And me all the whole time the devil said, Don't do that. Don't do that. He'll give you the ugliest girl you ever saw in your life. <laughs> Isn't that true? Those are slanders. They're getting ready to go into the land. The devil comes back, the slanderer comes back and says, Don't go in there, that place will eat you alive. It eats up its inhabitants. You'll be like grasshoppers. You're going to be destroyed. And not only that, if you follow God in this area of ministry, your family is going to be destroyed. Look what's going to happen to your kids. He's still doing it. The idea, a lot of people have, a lot of young people especially have the idea they're, they're seeking God's will. And the picture they have in their mind is, is you go to God and you say, Lord, I just want to do your will. What do you want me to do? And he's saying, it's like he's got it hidden somewhere under a bush. And he's saying, find it if you can. <laughs> Think of that. Isn't that true? But a lot of people have the idea that God is right up there with a big club waiting. He's, he's done pretty good today, but as soon as he messes up, I'm going to smash him. That's the attitude that we have towards our Heavenly Father many times. A.W. Tozer, one time he was uh, 
speaking to his congregation, he said, I've put my little daughter in the hands of God. You know, I just brought her to God in prayer and I said, Lord, whatever you want for her life, I give, I'm giving her to you. The woman came up after the message. She said, aren't you afraid to do that? Where's that come from? Slander. The devil will do that as you read in the Bible. You read about that man picking up sticks on the Sabbath. God says, stone him to death. Poor guy, he's just out there picking up sticks. He had got, you know, what's he done? Well, you look at that thing and you see what's really happening. That guy, God said, don't anybody do it. He came out there in plain sight of all Israel. He said, I'll pick up sticks if I want to. That's, you've got to look, you've got, you've got to look at what's actually going on because David goes in and eats the showbread and God doesn't do anything. That tells you what kind of God we have. The Lord Jesus addresses this in Luke 11, doesn't He? He said, which of you fathers, if your son shall ask you a fish, he'll give him, what was it, a snake. He asked a loaf of bread to give him a stone. Here, eat that. Or he said, Daddy, can I have an egg? Sure, son, close your eyes. Hold out your hand. And put a scorpion in there. Now why would he have to teach that way? Because he knows the slanderer is going to tell you that very thing. He's constantly slandering God to you. He slanders God to man. What else does he do? He slanders man to God. He slanders man to God. You have that passage in Revelation 12 where it says the accuser of the brethren has been cast down who accuses them before God night and day. Now that's a little bit less than slandering, but it is accusing, constantly pointing at things. Night and day. This is really going on. He's taking everything in your life and constantly accusing you to God. But we really see it in Job. Maybe we could turn to that in Job 1. Job 1, verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He'll surely curse you to your faith. Saying Job's just serving. This is a slander. Slandering man to God. And he's just serving you for what he can get out of you. If you let anything happen to him, he'll curse you. Chapter 2, 
This is after the first attack. Verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. God's bragging on him. Fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. You incited me against him. The Lord answered, or Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he'll give for his life. Ever put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, he'll curse you to your face. Now, here's the thing. God knew that wasn't true. Why would he let, say, he, he said, go ahead, just don't kill him. That tells us something about the power of our adversary, the only thing that keeps him from just killing us is God. He's got a hedge. What an admission. Why would God listen to him? Well, because he wants to get great glory out of Job. There's a, tra- there's a, there's some, there's a contest going on. And God say, he, Satan's slandering and this is the thing we don't realize. A lot of times when you're in a trial, you know the word trial is the same word as temptation and it's the same word as test. It all depends on who's doing it. Satan's tempting you, trying to get you to fall. God is testing you, purifying like gold and silver that's refined. And a lot of times we have to say to some brother, he says, man, I'm going through a trial. Well, it is a trial, but you know what that means? I'm being, I'm take, how about this? I'm taking a test right now. I'm taking a test. The question is, how, how, how's it going to turn out? Am I going to glorify God in this? God says, look at him, look at him. He's following me. The devil says, ah, he's not. He, you wait, you let, I'll hit him with this and you see. And isn't this amazing? God is glorified. He's glorified when a Christian in the midst of a trial, no matter how weak they raise their hand, they say, praise God. I'm still praising God in the midst of this. God says, look at that. He did it to get glory himself. He did it also to do Job good in the end. He did, didn't he? Well, he slanders man to God. He slanders God to man, he slanders man to God, he slanders us to each other. And this is a big one. <clears throat> what a tactic. If you were going up against an enemy, what would give you more glee than to have your enemy start fighting and killing off each other? That's how, that's how Gideon, with 300 men, won against 135,000 men. How did he do that? Well, he got 67,500 to fight in the other 67,500. It was totally equally matched. As they came down there, I mean, it was supernatural, but God did it through that method. They had 300 men with their torches inside the pitchers and 300 trumpets, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, they break those pitchers, the torches flare up, and 300 men 
And the enemy, coming out of their sleep, they said, man, if they got 300 guys on the trumpet, they must have a million men out here in the dark. And so they rise up and start fighting each other. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself will not stand. That's, that's, that is true of the house of God. And so he, one of his big tactics is to slander us to each other. He does it constantly. And if you could just remember this, 99% of the time, the things he's putting in your mind about this other brother or sister are slanders. They really are. Slander. Well, well, I thought that you... I, I've seen this as a pastor. I've seen things as they begin to unravel. I mean, they were supernatural. Because so-and-so said such-and-such, and what he said, well, you twist around in the way they were looking at it. Well, yeah, I can see why he took it that way. And then you said such-and-such. And then you look at that, and so, well, from his point of view, I can see he took it that way. And that thing begins, I mean, beloved, we need to realize there's sometimes there's people sitting right in our meetings. They've got something burning in there against some other brother or sister across the other side of the room. It's, it's real. The slander. One godly couple told me, they said to after they were converted, the devil did all kinds of stuff, try to separate them. And um, the wife said she was sitting at the breakfast table and the toast popped up and she thought, look at him. He knows that toast popped up. And he, does, he, he refuses to get, to get it. Well, he didn't even know the toast had popped up. That's the that little stuff like that. You know, look at, I wonder what's the matter with him he didn't say hi to you. he didn't last week either well, maybe he's bearing some burden you see it's not some but if you let that build up there was a, a lady in uh, in our church years ago she was taking pictures of the families and um, the families out there with their little kids and our kids were sick so we left right after the meeting and a little bit later, I got a phone call. She said, I just need to know, well, did, did you leave the meeting just to keep me from taking your all's picture? Now, this is, this is glorious because she knew. You think, what, what would have happened if she, if she hadn't called me? Then the next Sunday, I come in and I happen to not greet her. And then it builds up a little bit more. And in a little bit, it keeps building and it keeps building. Beloved, we are not enemies of each other. If you are a child of God and I'm a child of God, we have a common enemy, but we're not enemies of each other. No Christian is my enemy. And if that bitterness begins to come up or that wall or that feeling... That separation, you get to that person and talk to them. And usually it doesn't take hardly anything before the wall comes down. And you can both see clearly. I have that 
that verse, you know, Jesus, they came, Jesus told the parable where they came in the, in the morning, there were tares coming up with the, with the wheat, and he said, what? they said, how did this happen? He said, an enemy has done this. And a lot of times I've seen this in the church. I've seen somebody that's a real Christian leave the church. We had one situation where we found out a lady had left the church. And we were gone at the time. And my wife said, well, one thing I'm glad about this is that it's not anything against us. Well, lo and behold, <laughs> it was. But we were never talked to. And see, I believe that woman was a dear sister. An enemy has done this. And if you don't follow what the Bible says. I had another man who was leaving the church. I said, it just hit me out of the blue. I said, man, what, what's wrong? He said, oh, so many things. I can't even tell you all of them. I said, well, tell me five of them. <laughs> he came up with one. But the one that he told me was a real one. Somebody had said something to one of his children that undermined him, and it was real. And I said, well, did you go to him? Well, no, I didn't think it'd do any good. I said, Jesus didn't say if you think it'll do good. And the fact is, I, know, I, I have an idea who the person was that says it, and it would have done good. They would have repented immediately. Beloved, we've got to keep these walls down. We've got to realize what's going on. We have a, an enemy, and he is a slanderer. And he slanders us to one another. The Bible says a slanderer separates intimate friends. Intimate friends. My co-pastor who, who just resigned here a few weeks ago, we were there together in the ministry for about 45 years. At the very start, when uh, the first people, just a, a few handful of people had, had started being converted, he and I were painting a farm together to try to get some money. And I mean, the devil, he slandered us to one another. I mean, he's over, we, we could have been painting together, fellowshipping in the Lord, you know, working on the side of a barn. It was a whole farm we were painting. But I was on this side of that farm on, one, on a barn, and he was on the other side of the farm. And all the while I'm thinking as I paint, you know, thinking these thoughts about him. And he's thinking those thoughts about me as he's painting on the other side. That's a slander. He tried to destroy the work at the beginning. Finally, we talked it all out. And his wiles are broken down. Paul says, we're not, we don't, we're not ignorant of his schemes. We're not ignorant of his wiles. When you have these thoughts toward that other brother, you realize, man, I'm not ignorant of this. I love that brother. I need to get with him and talk to him. He's got the Spirit of Christ in him. He slanders God to man. Don't forget this. This is the, this is the biggest thing. He slanders man to God. He slanders us to each other. 
And the fourth area, the last area, he slanders us to ourselves. How's that work? Well, you're on your way to the prayer meeting. He says, oh, you lost your temper again, didn't you? Now you're going to go to the prayer meeting. Why don't you give up? You're a hypocrite. You're never going to, you're never going to have victory over this. Give up. Throw in the towel. And we can't see, in many cases, we can't see all the stuff God has done to help us already and to change us. You can see it in another brother. When he gets discouraged, you say, Brother, he's helped you a lot already. God's helping you. But we can't see it ourselves. Those are slanders. And uh, we've got to take a position... Where, where is it? Micah, where he says, Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. And Isaiah, um, who is he that, that trusts in the name of the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Is that the way it goes? Somebody might know that. But anyway, maybe I'll look it up. I'm quick. Misquoting scripture after all I said last night. I better not do that. <laughs> Isaiah 50 verse 10. Who is among you that fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? I think that's the way it goes. And obeys the voice of his servant that walks in darkness and has no light. What are you going to do? You're seeking to walk with God and you're in darkness. What are you going to do? He says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. You just keep on trusting in the darkness. That's the thing to do. Though he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, for the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Now think of, think of what we've missed out on by just not seeing that the word devil is the word slanderer. Every time you see it, try to remember this one. Maybe if I'm ever back here again, maybe I'll give you a quiz. What's the word devil? What's the word diablos mean? It means slanderer. Well, back in, back in Peter, what's the third designation? Roaring lion. Your adversary, the slanderer, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. If we were able to spend more than just one session here studying what the Bible says about our adversary, we would see that his names tend to fall into two categories. There's names that emphasize his character. For example, he's a serpent. He's subtle. He's got the father of lies. Those, those have to do with character. There's other names that speak of his power. For example, he's a great red dragon. His tail sweeps a third of the stars of heaven. If that doesn't talk about power, I don't know what would. He's the God of this world. Suppose 
you went by, you're out in space and you go by a planet and say there's millions of inhabitants down there and they are in the power, the lap of the evil one. There's a God of that world. That's basically the reality. Although, of course, God, the true God, is in control of all of that. But still, he's called the God of this world. Whenever he came to Jesus, he said, I'll give you all of that. You just fall down and worship me. He didn't say, well, no, you don't have that power over that. Well, he did. In some sense. So, character and power. This name, Roaring Lion, has both of them together. Because it speaks of one who is bloodthirsty and merciless. And it speaks of one who is powerful. And you just think of this in terms of sheep. If you have hungry lions outside here and you take, you know, here's this room full of sheep and you just push one of them out there, that's going to be bad. And that's what God's saying. He's saying by comparing him to a roaring lion and us to sheep, he's saying to us, you don't have any power of your own. You don't have any power of your own. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. That's where your safety is. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's the only hope. I like to um, quote that passage. I think Miles Stanford, if some of you know of him, he was the one I think I got this from. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And he said, we need to put some words in there. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against defeated principalities and dethroned powers. You've got to remember that part. They've been defeated. Jesus said, I give you authority over all the power. Two different words. I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. I like that passage in James where James says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The first part of it, submit yourself to God. You find yourself in that attack, in that cloud, struggling. First thing to do is go down on your knees. Submit to God. Lord, I give myself afresh, all of myself to you. As soon as you do that, you can rise up with confidence, resist the devil. Think of a sheep taking get out of here. Sheep saying to a lion, <laughs> resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The least Christian in the center of God's will, bow the knee to Christ, submit yourself to God, he'll flee from you. Well, may the Lord help us to be of sober spirit and be on the alert. For our adversary, we have one who's a slanderer. He's going about like a roaring lion, 
seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist? Steadfast in your faith. That's what the attack's going to be in your faith. Get you to waver and start thinking, you know, I can't trust God, or he's not big enough, or whatever. Whom resist? Steadfast in your faith. Knowing that your brothers are going through similar things. It's not just you. Amen.